a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. It's Christmas season. I thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about the wise men who came to see Jesus, the Magi, if you will, and the Bethlehem star, which they saw and brought them to worship the king of the Jews. First, let's talk a bit about the Magi and who they were. They were, at least according to most scholars, Zoroastrian priests. What you might ask is a Zoroastrian priest. There was a man named Zoroaster who several centuries before Christianity formed a religion, and hence its followers were followers of Zoroaster, and the religion itself is called Zoroastrianism. Its priests were called magi, which is the plural for one priest, which is magus. They were believed to have great powers and abilities and to be incredibly wise, hence references to the magi as wise men. It's also interesting to note that because they could perform great things, the word has come down to us as part of the word magic, which now has a negative connotation, but it still means doing something that's almost unbelievable or unexplainable. Without the negative connotation, one could see why the followers of Zoroaster, who could do great things, were magi, and how that has come down to us as as being a word for something almost unexplainable. All right, enough about the magi. Other than to say that it would have taken them at least a few months to reach where Jerusalem was, so they didn't show up the day after or a few days after Jesus was born, it would have been quite some time. Another point to make here is that they were coming to visit another religion, which is quite fascinating, and the birth of a king who would have been a secular and a religious king. When we read about the star that they saw, we can understand a few things about it. It had some key features. Maybe we can use those to identify it, perhaps not. But here is what we know about the star that the Magi saw and associated with the birth of Christ. Number one, it must have been a fairly newly appeared object because the wise men saw it 
And they came from the east to the west. The Zoroastrian center was near Babylon, and that would have been east of Jerusalem. They came from east to west. The star moved or appeared at least twice because at first it led the Magi from the east to the west where they found Herod, King Herod, and then later it moved in a different direction from Jerusalem than west. If it had moved continuously west, they would have been out in the ocean, but instead it moved north and stood over Bethlehem. Matthew doesn't mention that the star was right over the house where Jesus lived, although that's what you sometimes see. It was just something that led the Magi to Bethlehem. It appeared to them to be over the town of Bethlehem. Matthew also doesn't say that the star was especially bright because apparently Herod hadn't seen it. Neither had his advisors. Herod asked when it had appeared. They didn't know about the star. One of the greatest difficulties in trying to figure out if there was some kind of event in the stars, some new astronomical event or object in the stars that could have been the Bethlehem star. One of the greatest difficulties in doing that is figuring out when Jesus was born. There's a great deal of speculation, and the year even is not known. Some believe as early as 8 BC, some believe as late as 1 BC. There are a lot of Latter-day Saints who think the birth was on April 6th of 1 BC, based on Doctrine and Covenants 20, verse 1, in which Joseph Smith, talking about the founding of the LDS faith, says, the rise of the Church of Jesus Christ in these last days being 1,830 years since the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, it being duly organized. Now, notice two things. First of all, he doesn't necessarily say, I've received a revelation, this is when Jesus was born. This is in all likelihood just a very fancy and noble way of saying the church was established in the year of our Lord on April 6th of 1830. There are some Latter-day Saints who believe that this is some kind of a revelation. B.H. Roberts, the general authority, was the first one to say that. Talmadge said a similar kind of a thing, but none claim direct revelation. And I hate to say this because many people are just really big on the idea of April 6th of 1 BC being the birth date of Jesus, but the historian Josephus and in other sources, we find it recorded that Herod died after a lunar eclipse that happened on March 13th in 4 BC, 29 days before the Passover. Josephus said this in Antiquities. After Herod's death, Caesar Augustus divided Herod's kingdom among his three sons. And 
in memory of some of those sons having a new kingdom, they minted coins. One of those coins has been found, actually a number of them now, but it's dated to 4 B.C. So Herod was dead by 4 B.C. The wise men could not have talked to him after that. Hence, Jesus must have been born before 4 B.C. We don't know exactly when, but we know it must have been sooner than that. The exact coin uh, was of Herod Antipas, the son of Herod, and it's uh, it's fascinating. There are also other coins for Philip, his son, and, and for others. Let's take a look now at a little bit more about the narrative of the Magi and the star. The Gospel of Matthew says that the Magi, often translated wise men, arrived at the court of Herod in Jerusalem and told King Herod that a star had been seen, which signified the birth of the Jews. Matthew specifically says this, quote, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, or at its rising, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So immediately, Herod's associating the star, the king of the Jews, with the advent or birth of the Messiah. When we come back, what was, who was the Messiah for the Jews? Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. back. This is Religion Today. Our discussion today centers around the Magi and the Star of Bethlehem. We know that Herod was troubled. He had not seen the star, and it had meant to him that the Messiah had been born. What does Messiah mean? It means Savior. It literally means anointed one, Mashiach. Yeshu, or Joshu, or Joshua, or Jesus, comes down to us as a word meaning, a name meaning, Savior. Mashiach is, is a different derivation of the word. It literally means to save. So, Joshua who helped Moses, had the same name that Jesus had. There are actually many children that were born whose parents named them Joshua or Yeshua, meaning Savior. It was a popular name. The Messiah, 
had great symbolism, had great meaning to the Jews. And incidentally, in Greek, the equivalent was Christos. And so if you say Jesus Christ, you're saying in Hebrew, Yahshua, and then in Greek, Christos. And so you're saying Hebrew-Greek, Savior, Savior, or Messiah, Messiah, or Anointed One, Anointed One, however you like to sort it out. We say Jesus Christ as if it's a first and a last name almost, but it's just a Greek and a Jewish way of saying or referring to the Messiah. Who was the Messiah? He was thought by the Jews to be the one sent by God to right all of the wrongs, to fix everything that had need of fixing that was beyond human ability to do so. The Messiah was seen as the one who could do things impossible for any human. The anointed one, the first chosen one that we have reference to in that way is King David. He had oil poured on him and he was chosen as king. And that's a Messiah, a chosen one, an anointed one. Jesus was the important one, the great one. This anointed one, this Messiah, was one, as I mentioned, who was to fix all the wrongs. This was macro and micro, great and small. The Jews, well, if we, the Jews believed that great wrongs had been done them while they were in Egypt, and that it was only God who had saved them. They needed a savior to escape Egypt. The Jews continue to believe this. The Holocaust is something they believe they were saved from, literally, by the grace or the help of God. There are some things which no mortal man can save the Jews or anyone else from, and these include death, destruction, loss, loss of life especially, but there are many other kinds of loss that cannot be healed or fixed by a person alone. These include disease, destruction, people who have deformities or defects, people who have diseases, people who have lost loved ones. All kinds of things are considered to be beyond the ability of humans to fix. These are the things, according to Jewish tr- tradition, that the Messiah was come to fix. And ultimately, that idea has been even enhanced in Christianity to the belief and concept that Jesus literally overcame death. This is not something that we find much in Judaism. This wasn't a major focus, but we do find it in a few places in the book of Daniel and otherwise. The shift in Christianity, one of the major differences between Jewish belief and Christian belief was this idea of a resurrection or bringing back someone who had died permanently where they would not die again. 
this is what resurrection is. That's what the early Christians found to be the centerpiece of Christianity, along with the life that Jesus led. So when Herod was troubled because the Messiah might have been born, he understood the Messiah to be someone beyond his abilities to control, unless he fixed the problem quickly. Now, before we talk about how evil King Herod attempted to fix the problem of the birth of Messiah quickly in a very evil way, let's talk a bit about what, by tradition, the Magi did. When they came and saw the king of the Jews who had been born, they brought him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Many think, oh, that's really neat, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but why would a little child need that? Or why would they give those things to a child? The answer is they were representative. We don't know what kind of gold. We assume it wasn't some gold bar or brick or gold nuggets. The frankincense and myrrh has a little bit more information to it. But gold, we know in its most basic statement of of what it means in a representative sense is that it means a king. Gold is associated with kingship. By the Magi presenting Jesus with the gift of gold, it meant they acknowledged him to be king of the Jews. The gift of incense or frankincense which is a specific variety of incense with a specific aroma, was associated with the temple and the priestly class of the Jews. Hence, the Magi also understood that Jesus was not just king, but he was also high priest over the Jews. The third gift, the gift of myrrh, myrrh was used. It smelled wonderfully. It was used because of its preservative power. It was For embalming, it indicated death. These are the three great ways Jesus is described as a king, as a priest, and as one who died and came back from death permanently. All three of these major aspects were understood and known to be understood by the gifts they brought to the king of the Jews, to Jesus. Now back for just a moment to the thing that Herod did to try to relieve himself or rid himself of this problem of the birth of the Messiah. He ordered that all the children, two years and under, would be killed who lived in the area where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, we know that Jesus and his family had fled to Egypt. Why would they go to Egypt? Because there were many, many Christians who lived in Egypt. People have said, We don't believe the Christmas story because if there was some great massacre of young children, it would have been written down in history. Well, the problem with that idea is that it was written down in history in many places. In the proto-evangelism of James, in the Assumption of Moses, and in a number of ancient documents, the Massacre of the Innocents, as it was called, is mentioned. And also, this would not have been a great number. The estimates of the number of children to and under in a small place like Bethlehem would have been somewhere between 8 and 20. Horrendous enough for a small little village. Ending on a happy note, 
the birth of Jesus gives us great hope that no matter what difficulties we find ourselves in or what happened to us, the Savior has come and he can do things that are miraculous, that are beyond human abilities, such as break the bonds of death. Merry Christmas to all and contemplate Jesus. And I hope you have peace and happiness as you do so. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.